Lord, we come to you this morning in all sorts of places and situations. Um, And we're thankful that we can lift up to you our thanksgiving, our lament, our fear and our praise, our repentance, and our devotion. We know that you meet each person here. We are amazed by your capacity to do so, but thankful for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. So our culture is increasingly a dress-down, dress-casual culture, uh, which is is fine by me. Um, But there are still some occasions in our culture that you, out of respect, you know, you dress up for, you watch your language, you don't do crazy stuff. Um, Weddings is one of those uh, events, you know, it's respectful to accept the invitations and, you know, wear, wear a certain outfit and, and behave while you're there, which is why I want to tell you about the worst wedding I ever did. So I was at the Elms Motel, or hotel, and Ashley's like, you're telling this story? Um, I was at the Elms in Excelsior Springs, and uh, it's time for the ceremony to start. They have a little chapel there. I'm standing there. So this couple had decided to do bride's side, groom's side seating. And the bride's side seating was shoulder to shoulder, front to back people. And this is no exaggeration. The groom's side was completely empty, not a soul. And I thought, well, surely some choreographed thing's going to happen here or something. So I look at the bride's mother and she goes. And at that moment, I look at the back of the sanctuary and the groom's sister pokes her head in. Hey, sound guy, I'm getting ready to yell. The groom's sister pokes her head in and then she turns to the lobby and goes, y'all get in here and fix it to start. And, And in they all file. And everyone is holding a liquor bottle with a brown paper bag wrapped around it. So they, they wanted to bypass the cash bar there at the Elms Hotel. So they just all stopped by the liquor store on the way in and made it a BYOB occasion. And you know, why wait for the reception to start? Why wait for the ceremony to start? They were already, yeah, so this swarthy swearing band comes in and gets seated uh, eventually. And we had what actually turned out to be a a very beautiful ceremony. Um, The the mother of the bride and, and, and the father of the bride, they were not people of great means, but humble people, but they had really saved well and managed well. And they, and they were putting on a beautiful wedding. And, uh, and we went out to the reception, and the reception was also beautiful. Mother of the bride, beautiful dress. Just they had done a great job. And about 40 minutes into the ceremony, the groom, his sister and mother, approached the mother of the bride, and they said, hey, we're going to bug out. Uh, we're going go, to go to my dad's grave. This is the groom. And the mother of the bride says, I mean, you don't, you don't mean right now. Yeah, it's my wedding day. She's like, I mean, surely, I mean, surely you could like do that tomorrow. And at that moment, the sister of the groom who's holding champagne throws it in the mother of the bride's face, calls her a filthy name at the top of her voice, and the three of them storm out of the reception. The groom, his mom, and his sister, leaving the bride there to cry with no one to cut cake with, no one to dance with. So through the years, many of you have asked me, how come you only do weddings for members of Lakeland Community Church? Why not, 
Why not just anyone who asked? Well, I did used to, and, and that was my last one. So I hope you'll all forgive me. Um, I just couldn't do it again. Ashley's like, you're not even telling all the stories, and I'm not gonna. That's enough. That is enough. All right. And so what a day of disrespect and dishonor on a wedding. Um, Jesus is going to tell a story today of a wedding day dishonor. So the story before the story is that Jesus has come to Jerusalem. It's uh, the week of Passover. He's ridden in on a baby donkey. It's the Old Testament sign that I am the king who has come to save Israel and the world. He's gone to the temple and turned over things and wilted fig trees. And it's a sign that the time that the temple has fallen out of favor with God because it's just not accomplishing his mission. And so the time of the temple and priests and things like that are ending. But the time of the Messiah and the time called for by the prophets has come. And so he has done these things. Well, these priests have been pestering him with questions because they don't like that their time is ending. And they're trying to actually get him into trouble so they can have him arrested by the Romans and, and hanged on a cross. And they will succeed at that in, in three days from what we're studying. This is only three days before the cross. But as they're doing this, Jesus keeps telling them stories to help them see that attacking the kingdom of God, resisting the Messiah, these things do eventually have consequences. This does not go well if you persist in this behavior. And what we're going to find today is that he, he has a third story to tell them. And that's what we'll be studying right now. It's time for Matthew chapter 22, verse 1. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. So in the days before clocks, when everyone would know exactly what time it is, they just blew a horn a couple of times a day to roughly tell you what time it is. So when you got a wedding invite, all you really got was the date. And you knew on that date, get up and get dressed. When it's actually time, when the food is ready and the band is in place and the decorations are hung, servants will go out and tell you that it's time to come and then everybody will start filtering in. So that's what's happened. The king has sent his servants out, but weirdly, nobody shows up. No one shows up for the wedding. Um, now, this is really strange because... In those days, it was very insulting not to accept someone's wedding invitation. You only refused a wedding invitation if, one, you, you wanted to insult somebody, or if you were saying, look, I'm higher status than you. I have better things to do than to show up at your wedding. Like, if I invited the mayor of Kansas City to my kid's wedding, honestly, he's probably they're just probably not going to be there, um, because that's just not how that goes. Um, but this is the weird thing about the story. This is the king inviting people. There's no one higher status than the king. There's no one who has something better to do than to show up to the king's wedding for his son. And so the king feels like, well, there must be some sort of misunderstanding going on here. And so the story continues. Again, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, one to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. So this is deliberate. This is a deliberate attempt in the story 
for them to insult and challenge the authority of the king and to challenge the status of the king. You know, I've got better things to do. Some go to their farm. Some go to their business. And then others, um, they, be, they torture the servants. So now the allegory of this story begins to come clear. The king who's throwing the wedding is God. And the son who is being celebrated in this wedding is his son, Jesus, the Messiah. The servants who are sent out to say, it's time for the wedding. The time has come. They are the prophets and they are the messengers of God. The most recent being John the Baptist, who literally when he saw Jesus said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The people who are refusing the message of the prophets, either finding better things to do or even tormenting and killing them, are the people of Israel because that is what they did to the Old Testament prophets. Some were pushed off of walls. Isaiah was sawn in two. John the Baptist, the most recent prophet, was thrown into prison and then on a whim, they cut off his head to entertain dinner guests. So uh, that is, that is uh, the allegory of the story is becoming clear, but the story is not over. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Now that's more than just a plot point in a parable, and that's more than just a symbol of God's coming judgment for those who repeatedly refused the invitations of God. This actually happened. In AD 70, the Roman Empire marched into Jerusalem, and they burned the city. And they tore down the temple of God. The order was no brick shall stand upon another. And they threw those stones over into the valley. And to this day, that temple has not been rebuilt. And then the story continues. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. And that is indeed what happened after the destruction of the temple. The, the followers of the Messiah, Jesus, went out into the world um, and they shared the good news with everyone. Jews, non-Jews, folks from all over the empire. And, and the, 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 the banquet hall of God, the kingdom of God, began to fill up. Now, there's one word translated in here. I wish they'd translated it a little differently. I love this translation for this series. And that's why I chose it, but except for one word. It said they went out into the main streets. And in English, that sounds like they went downtown. Um, but for the Roman Empire, it really meant the highways. He said, go into the highways now, those main streets, the big ones that would go all over the world. And that's really what they did. They went out from Jerusalem all over the world, into North Africa, into Southern Europe. And eventually to us, right? We're sitting here today because somebody went out on some highway somewhere and shared the good news of Jesus with some ancestor or buddy or teacher or coach of yours. And now, and now here we are. And so I, I do wish that this had said highways instead of main streets. Most of your Bibles probably do say highways. So um, other than that, I, I love that translation. And this is a great story. And if, if this were all Jesus had said, we would be done right now and you'd all get to go home early because it, it's pretty understandable and it tells the story of what God has done. However, Jesus has to add four verses here that are going to keep us here another 20 minutes. 
But when the king came to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's like grinding your teeth because you're just in so much anguish. For many are called, but few are chosen. Well, there's a line looking for some theology to happen. For many are called, but few are chosen. All right. So the king goes out and he finds this all these wedding guests from all over the world and he sees one there in his tank top and cut off jean shorts. And he's like, how did you get in here dressed like that? Now, if this person's answer was, I'm sorry, I just couldn't afford wedding clothes. He could have said that. In their culture, they had a provision for wedding guests that couldn't afford wedding clothes, especially a royal wedding where you can imagine the outfits are gonna be spectacular. Um, you could give clothes to your own wedding guests so they could show up and attend in dignity. He asked, how, how, friend, how'd you get in here without wedding clothes? He's speechless, because that's not the reason why. The reason why is probably that he's just crashing the wedding. He just came to eat the food. He's not coming to honor the sun. He's not coming to celebrate the sun. He just, cool, I get to go to the palace. I bet they have good snacks there. And so it's just more dishonor this time from somebody who came in from the highway. And he says, bind him up. Throw him into the outer darkness. This passage is reminding us to be careful of our responses to the invitation of God. Um, there are some in this passage who say, I'm too busy. I've got a farm to take care of. I've got a business to take care of. This passage says, careful. There are some who beat up God's messengers and torment and persecute God's messengers who try to tell them that the time has come. And the scripture says, be careful about that. And then there are some who are crashing the party. They don't come to honor the sun. They don't get dressed up for the occasion. They just come to eat the food. And then they're going to bug out. And it's, it's, this passage is warning us, be careful of that. Everyone is invited. God is so excited to invite folks. But we don't come on our own terms. You can't show up, so to speak, dressed any old way you want. We do show up on God's terms. See, sometimes we approach God as if we've done him a favor by allowing ourselves to be converted. Aren't you so happy, God, that I decide to follow you and I've shown up and here I am, but don't you try to mess with me or change anything about me or I'll just turn around and walk right back out of here. I will not bless you with my presence. And that's a dangerous way to approach the God who made us and who saved us to be, to be so casual. God is happy to invite us but he is not desperate for us to attend. He's not so desperate that he'll contend with dishonor and disrespect. I had a friend who uh, used to manage a pizza, re pizza restaurant. And, and one day, one Sunday, they had a huge crowd in the pizza restaurant. In fact, a, a church group came and filled two whole long tables. And at the head of the table sat a six-year-old girl and next to her, her pastor from the church. And the six-year-old girl and her pastor both ordered personal pizzas, sausage and pepperoni. Now there was so many people in the pizza restaurant that day that all ordered sausage that they ran out before they complete the order. 
So my friend, the manager, took the pizzas out to explain. He said, I'm so sorry. We have such a big crowd in here today, and, and so many people have ordered sausage that we ran out of sausage, and we were unable to complete your entire order. So he sets down in front of the girl um, a sausage and pepperoni pizza, and he sets down in front of the pastor a pepperoni pizza. And he starts to walk away. And the pastor says, hey, wait a minute. Where's my sausage? He says, that's what I was trying to explain, sir. So many people have ordered sausage today that, that we ran out and were unable to complete your order. And he looks at the little girl's plate and says, if you've, uh, she got sausage. Can you imagine me a six-year-old seeing your pastor act like the animal that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on? Anyways, um, he said, she got sausage. And he said, well, we ran out halfway through and I just thought since, you know, she's a kid. And the pastor said, if you've got sausage for her, you've got sausage for me. My friend said, actually, sir, we don't have sausage for you. But what we do have for you is a free pizza on me and on the house. And after you finish it, I don't ever want to see you in here again. And the pastor says, you can't talk to me that way. I'll never come in here again. He says, yes, sir, you have correctly understood. You are never to come in here again, but enjoy your pizza. If a pizza restaurant, happy to invite everyone, but not so desperate as to put up with disrespect and stupidity, can hold to a certain standard of respect, surely the kingdom of God can. If a pizza manager can say, I'm happy to invite you all and serve you all, but you get off the chain like that and your offer has expired, surely the almighty God who created us and went to such great lengths to save us has the perfect right to do the same. This is a hard passage. This is a hard passage. We have to watch what we're dangling in front of Jesus. You know, Jesus, I give you this part of my life, but not this. This was a part of me before I met you, and don't you mess with it. Jesus, I give you this part of my time, but not this part. This belongs to me. It's careful approaching the one who made the galaxies in that way. It's hard to talk about the kingdom of God and then have these stories like Jesus is telling today that says some will not be chosen for it. Some will be cast out. This is tough. We acknowledge this is tough. Um, the Bishop N.T. Wright studied this passage. He acknowledges it's tough. He says, we want to hear a nice story about God throwing the party open to everyone. We want, as people now fashionably say, to be inclusive, to let everyone in. We don't want to know about judgment on the wicked or demanding standards of holiness or weeping and gnashing of teeth. A friend uh, earlier this year wisely told me that in the church right now, in our culture, there are four generations and each generation is asking a different question about the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. So some of you this morning, your one question about this gospel story is, is it true? Is that in the Bible? Is that what Jesus said? Is that the meaning of the story? Because if it is, then I will follow it. I will get used to it. I will, I will live my life according to it. If it's true, then I will be in. And God bless you for that response. I will say that it is true. It is in the Bible. It is Jesus telling this story, and this is the meaning of his parable. So um, those of you who follow it, because it is true, God bless you. 
Others in a different generation are saying, I get that it may be true, but my gosh, will it work? <laughs> I mean, will this, can, you, can you preach this in this world? In this world, does anyone care about sin and following God and outer darknesses? And I mean, will it, will it work? I get that it's true, but it's just practically, can you, can you do this? It's a fine question. It's a fine question. Um, absolutely, it will work. In fact, it's the only thing that can work. If you have a kingdom of God in which everyone is invited, it's a wonderful picture, but not if no one's going to change. Not if everything's just going to go on exactly as it has been. So you're asking, will it work these days in this world? So let's just start there. Let's talk about this world. I've been out of town for three days. I haven't watched any news. And without watching any news, I can tell you that it has been horrible, right? All, all, look at all of the wars, all of the hate, all of the corruption. Um, uh, it, it, this world is in sorry, sorry shape. Most of it because of human sin. And, and the idea that God offers us an eternal kingdom is, is amazing news. It, but not if everyone's just going to stay the same and keep doing the same things. Except now we live forever. I mean, at least now we finally get free of tyrants when they get too old and die. Imagine if everybody lives forever and nobody changes. We will turn heaven right back into hell on earth by the end of the week. The only way the kingdom of God works is if Jesus is king and those who come honor him and follow him. Anything else is just the same old thing and maybe worse. So absolutely it works. It's the only thing that can work. Um, but another generation is going, I get that that works. I can see the practicality. It's true. It's in the Bible. But is it good? Is it morally good to have a kingdom of God in which many are invited, but few are chosen? Absolutely Jesus is good. We... He gave us the law to show us. He gave us the temple as a picture of, of how forgiveness happens. Um, he sent pro Prophets were sent to remind us again and again, and then his son came. But we defiled the temple, broke the law, killed the prophets, and killed the Son of God. All the same, it was good that we got so many chances it's good to invite, give people multiple chances. It is morally good when people are confused, when they can't see clearly, when they are deceived, to give them multiple chances. Let them fall and help them get up again and be the God of another chance. That is, that is so good. But when we, we expended all those options and even killed the Son of God. Even then, God responds by raising him from the dead. And saying, I make his death a payment for your sins. Not only did I give you thousands of years to pay your debt, when you don't pay me, I pay it myself. I mean, that goes beyond good. Now we're above what justice requires. Now we're above what even you would ask a good person to do. To give your own life for someone else. It's, it's so good. And he's offering this, this eternal kingdom. And he's saying, I want you all to put on goodness in this kingdom. It's the only way it can be a morally good eternity is by making these distinctions. Uh, the Bishop N.T. Wright comments on this as well, the goodness of this kingdom. He says, actually, nobody really believes God wants everyone to stay exactly as they are. 
God loves serial killers. God loves child molesters. God loves ruthless and arrogant businessmen. God loves manipulative mothers who have damaged their children's emotions for life. But the point of God's love is that he wants them to change. He hates what they're doing and the effect it has on everyone else and on themselves. Ultimately, if he's a good God, he cannot allow that sort of behavior and that sort of person, if they don't change, to remain forever in the party he's throwing for his son. So when we come to this place where the son, the Holy Spirit, the church, the message, all of it is rejected, God's kind of left with two choices on the kingdom of God. He can either force people to come into it and force them to be changed, change their heart, change their mind, you will follow me, you will put on goodness, or let them be left out as they have chosen. Well, what about convincing them? That's what's happening now. That's what, that's what all these opportunities now are. But he's not, he's a good God. He's not an enslaver of minds. He gave us a free will, and that was his gift. And he's a good God and does not take that away. And so he lets each decide their own destiny. Even if it means separation from him in his goodness, he doesn't say, never mind, I'll, I'll make you become what I made you to be. Because he's good. There's another, another generation that says, it's true, it works, it's good, but is it beautiful? I mean, I think of all this, what this is going to require of me, and if I'm going to dedicate my life to this, I want it to be beautiful. I want it to be a beautiful and inspiring story for me and for my friends and for everyone else. And this is a beautiful story. A God, a king who opens up his palace and invites everyone and says, go out and find them all and bring them in. I mean, that's how you want every movie to end. You want every movie to end where the king throws open the castle gates and all the commoners just wander into the castle. And then he says, by the way, you can all live here. You can all live here forever. And you will never be lost again. And you will never be lonely again. And you will never be hungry again and you'll never be trapped in evil again. And all you have to do is put on these new and beautiful clothes, which I provide. That is a beautiful story. What a difference new clothes make. What a difference new clothes make. When my daughter was 13 years old, she went to middle school. Middle school is not hell, but you can see hell from there. Um, and sh she found a new group of friends and they had a uniform. And so all my daughter wanted was black jeans with rips all in them and black t-shirts with pictures of drugged out rock stars on them. And my wife being the, the dummies that we are, we bought her these clothes. We went out and bought these so that she could, you know, have friends and fit in. And you know, I was, a, you know, I was a little bit goth in high school and it, went okay. So we just thought she was, we thought she was going through an edgy phase. We were really wrong. This group of friends came with way more than an unattractive dress code. There was uh, a lot of gender and sexuality, confusion and exploration. 
there was a lot of talk about suicide, lots of, lots of writings and emails about killing themselves, um, lots of hatred of Jesus expressed in just terms just like that. Uh, lots of parents who were behind each of the friends in this group who totally were on board with this entire project, who emailed our daughters very inappropriate emails. Um, always read your children's emails and your texts. That's your phone. That's your computer. They're just using it. They have no right to privacy. Um, read it and know what's going on. I really think had, had God not intervened that we would have lost her. Her, her downward spiral was very fast. And this would be a very different message. Uh, but we decided to stop being enablers. We knew with a junior high kid, you take the whole wardrobe away, you're inviting World War III. So our strategy was, well, I don't have to wash it. So when those clothes came off and went in the hamper, I just fished out what we would prefer that she wear and I washed them and dried them and fold them and put them away. And I think she thought for a while we got rid of them, but one day she got really indignant and said, where are my emo clothes? And I said, they're laying in the bottom of the hamper. If you'd like to wash them and dry them and fold them and put away, you're, you're welcome to them. So you gotta understand, those were her freedom of expression. Those were her identity, but they were not worth her time to do a chore over. And so that, that, that was not going to happen. And so they just laid in the bottom of the hamper growing things. And, and she just put on whatever we would wash and fold for her. And uh, her emo phase wound down very quickly after that. Now, in other clothes, in a new uniform, literally a school uniform, um, she meets other people. And, and that's when... We, um, that's when McKinsey. So my daughter is the tall one. Um, <laughs> and McKinsey uh, was someone she met at school, her very good friend in middle school and high school. And we call her our... <laughs> we call her our other daughter. And when she comes home from... Creighton, she's supposed to, we're really proud that she goes to Creighton, <laughs> like we had something to do with it. Um, and uh, we, we, she has to come visit us. She was just at our house two weeks ago for the sixth annual pumpkin carving and painting weekend. And uh, she loves the Lord. And she was really important to our daughter coming back to um, her faith in Jesus. And uh, gosh, what a difference new clothes make. So this parable of Jesus tells, he goes to the wedding where, why don't you have the right wedding clothes? You know, it's not about having money and snazzy clothes to wear. That's not the point of the story. To understand what he's talking about with having the right clothes, you really have to understand how the Bible talks about clothes. You have to understand passages like uh, Colossians. So as God's chosen ones, there's that word chosen again. So as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and kindness. I got that out of order. Meekness and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. 
Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The clothes the Bible talks about are the Christian life. You have to know passages like Romans 13. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness in the bottom of the hamper and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh or to gratify its desires. The clothes we put on is Christ Jesus. Many are invited into the kingdom of God. Those who put on Christ Jesus are chosen. Let us pray. Our Father, forgive us for the times we made light of your offer that we were too busy to answer the call of your Son. Oh, we, we pray you forgive us. We thank you that you have given another chance. For the times that we have made fun of, made life difficult for, those who shared that offer with us, co-workers and relatives and kids on the bus and youth pastors, and forgive us for badgering them as those priests badgered you. And thank you for another chance. Lord, thank you. Forgive us for crashing your kingdom, for joining the church because it does charity work, or joining the church because it has community, but having thinking we had no need of the Bible or no need of Jesus. Thank you for a second chance to reconsider that. Uh, Lord, I pray for each person here that we will consider your offer while it has not yet expired. And we thank you as your word says that you desire that none should perish but all have eternal life. And this is the day. We give you thanks for this. For your truth, it is true, it is practical, it is good, it is beautiful. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.